Hey, we're starting a new series called Growing Up, and uh, we're going to take this uh, look, this deep look at uh, the study of Philippians and um, what that means for us. There's this app on, uh, on my phone called TimeHop. Uh, I don't know if you have it, if you've seen it. it. What it does is it goes back into your history of social media, in your pictures, and it pulls out everything you posted from that day, and it goes back eight, nine years. And so every day it's fun to hop on and see pictures of my kids when they're little and to, to remember things that have, have happened. And so this last weekend, uh, seven years ago, I was sitting in a meeting, and uh, I get a call from my wife, and I'm in a meeting, and so I hang up. Uh, that's kind of our, our thing. We, I, I just I decline it, and then if she really needs me, she calls right back. And so she calls right back. And so I know in that moment, okay, something's up. She knows I'm in a meeting. And so I step out and I give her a call and she tells me she's, at the time she's 11 weeks pregnant and she tells me that she's having some issues, um, that things aren't right and things are, are, are going wrong. And some of you know this and, and I've shared this often. Uh, but so seven years ago, this is taking place and we go to the hospital and um, they say things don't look good and we end up having an ultrasound. And um, what they tell us is, uh, eventually that the baby just stopped growing so at seven eight weeks the baby just stops growing and so we, we miscarry and but then it's it's god does some just weird things at times and even uses it so in my time hop it says seven years i've i've we're dealing with the miscarriage and everything six years ago we talk about how we had just had an ultrasound looking at pictures and and my my baby boy cademan who yeah. uh, is now and so I'm kind of as I go through this, I'm dealing with both of these emotions. And then, you know, with, with Cade and, and ultrasounds, and, and Heather was having some issues even with, with Cademan. And so we were having lots of ultrasounds, which was really fun, because uh, we were able to see Cade grow uh, through the process of being inside Heather. And, and the, the thing is, as you're pregnant and, and you have a baby inside you, the most important thing is that they're continuing to grow. Yeah. They're continuing to grow. But it doesn't stop. So when they're born, th there isn't this moment where they're born, but the, but the hope is that they continue to grow. There's these mile markers, there's these things that you hope that your kids eventually hit. And so my 10-year-old my daughter is nothing like when she was two. She's a totally different girl. And obviously, if there were issues and problems, and I would, I would love my daughter and take care of her, but the goal as a, as a parent is that our kids grow, that they grow, is that they mature. And, and honestly, uh, sometimes now that I look at things, uh, it's actually happening too fast. Yeah. And uh, I look at my, my 10-year-old daughter, and I'm like, where is my baby girl? Where did she go? Right? Go to your room. You're never coming out. Yeah. Right? You're, never, you're never coming out. You, uh, we've already started, you know, we have the boy talks. And so, you know, we, she already knows it's 20, 25 before she starts dating. And uh, anything like that, like, it's not allowed. And we're starting to talk about college. And so, I keep telling her all these good colleges in St. Louis um, because I don't want her to, uh, to leave me, but, but I, I want her to grow. I want her to grow. There are these things I want her to mature in. I was talking to Cade this week. He's always talking about growing up, and uh, I was like, why do you want to grow up so bad? And this was the response, uh, so I can eat all the candy I want, right? I'm like, all right, that's good goals. That's important. Uh, you have your priorities uh, set. That's the only reason he wants to, to grow up, um, but, but I do. I want my kids to grow up. And as your pastor, as your pastor, uh, I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up. I want us to grow up uh, personally, spiritually grow up. But, but I also want us as a church to continue to grow up. That, that at no point should we spiritually kind of hit this point where we're no longer growing, where we're no longer learning, where we're no longer changing. There's at no point as a church we say, oh, we've, we've made it. We've, we've hit that point. We should always be looking 
to grow. And so as, my, as your pastor, and for my own life, no matter where you are on the spectrum, I know some of you who are here today, maybe at this point you're like, you know, I don't know if I believe in God. Someone brought you, someone drugged you here, someone bribed you. You are here for some reason. My goal for you is that you'll just take a step. That, that maybe in your mind you'll begin to say, all right, maybe there is some truth to this. Maybe there is a God who's created me. Maybe Jesus is real. Maybe there is a better way. So maybe it's just one step, but, but that's my, my hope for you is you, you take a step. And then for some of you who have been around for a long time, you, you can't remember not being a Christian. You should still be taking steps. You should still be growing. You should still be changing. The, actually, let me, let me say this. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize I need to grow. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize I need to grow. The more I seek him and I'm into what he's doing, the more he points out in me that I can change. The more I can become like him. And so all of us, no matter where we are on the spectrum, hopefully we'll begin taking some steps and we will grow up. Not that you're at a place, not that this isn't a negative thing. It's neg- this isn't a negative thing. Actually, this letter that is written to this group uh, this, uh, in, in Philippi, the Philippians, it was actually an encouraging letter. Often, this guy Paul, his, his letters were, hey, things aren't going very well where you're at, and here's how you need to change. This is much more of an encouraging letter and a way of saying, hey, here's some way, ways that you can grow. So this isn't a negative thing. This is an opportunity thing. And, and here's what we have to get in our mind. Many of us see our spiritual life as a one-time one thing, one-moment thing. That at one moment, at some point, some of you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And actually, if we're real and, and you think about your life, it probably happened in a way where you, you said a prayer. That someone said, if you want to, or if you want to be saved, or if you want to go to heaven, then say this prayer. And many of you have, have done that. And you at that point thought, okay, well, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do. And so you just kind of go on living and, and life maybe looks different, but maybe it doesn't, but... But that really wasn't the, the, the goal or the idea of Jesus. It wasn't the goal or idea of Jesus. When, when Jesus begins his ministry, you know what he says? Follow me. Follow me. There wasn't just this moment where it says, okay, once you've made that decision, then you're on your own. It was follow me. Come be like me. That was the invitation. Be like me that Jesus gave to his disciples. And so for a, a lot of you, I, I want you to understand that when you made that decision to follow Jesus, it was a decision to follow him the rest of your life. That it was a decision to say, I, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to follow him. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend several weeks looking at this letter to the Philippians. And in this letter, a lot is going to happen. We're going to take it slowly, and this week we're only going to look at two verses. Uh, it'll, it'll pick up after that, but but we're going to look at two verses this week. But, but here's what I want you to know. Is this was a real guy who wrote this real letter. And I talked last week about this guy named Paul who uh, persecuted and killed Christians. And then he begins helping Christians or helping people follow Jesus and become Christians. And he plants these churches and he writes these letters back to them. And here's what I want you to understand. We don't worship Paul. It's important to understand. We don't worship Paul. Paul is not on the same level as, as Jesus Paul is a person who followed Jesus, and at one point he even says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So we're doing, we're going to follow Paul as he followed Jesus. And in this letter, Jesus, Christ, is actually in it more than any other noun. Okay, so even even Paul is saying, look, this is about 
Jesus. It's not just simply about Paul. So this is written in uh, the early 60s, 60 AD, 62 AD, uh, and it's 10 years after Paul first goes to Philippi. So 10 years later after first going to Philippi, and Philippi is a real place. This is important. Philippi was a real place. It wasn't just this make-believe place. It's in what is current northeastern Greece, Macedonia. It was a real place, 10 to 15,000 people, and it was in a very important area. It was on the road from Rome to the east, from Rome to the east, and so there are all these people who would be traveling through Philippi. And almost all the people, almost all the people who lived there were what, what were called Gentiles. So they're not Jewish people who have this understanding of who God is. They didn't have an understanding of who God is. They, they did not have a Jewish background. The religion actually of this day uh, what was syncretism. So it basically meant, look, I'm going to take all of the, the ideas of religion and I'm basically going to pick and choose what I want. I'll take a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit of that and I'll take a little bit of this. And they worshipped the emperor of the day. They had the Greek uh, gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And so they would just take kind of what they wanted. And here's what's interesting. We still do that today. This is still something in our culture and our world that happens today. Where people would say, oh, I like that part of Jesus. I like that part of Jesus, so I'll, I'll take that part, and then I like this part of Buddhism, and so I'll take this, and then I've been reading, and there's a little bit of New Age, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blend that in. And so it's kind of this, like, spiritual buffet. It is. It's just a spiritual buffet where we say, okay, I'll take this and a little bit of that, not, not a lot. I love Indian food. I don't know if you like Indian food, but there's a great buffet on, on Lindbergh. And so I, I ate there this week, and there's this one thing at Indian restaurants. It's this green color. It is a horrible-looking food, and so I have never touched it. I've never touched it. I say it's disgusting, but, man, there's other things that I love, and so I take lots of that, but I leave that alone. And it might be really good, but I want nothing to do with it, right? It's what we do. And so it's not, it's not just those who would say they're not Christians. Christians do it too. Those who follow Jesus often say, I really like that part, and so I'm going to believe and follow that. But that, that doesn't really fit with what I want to do. So I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to follow. And so the religion of the day is not that much different than what we're experiencing even for ourselves. And so we have this letter that, that Paul writes to the group of Christians. So where did they come from? How, how did they become Christians? If that wasn't the, the, the theology, if that wasn't the practice of the day, where did all these Christians come from? Why, why is Paul writing back to them? And so for us to really understand Philippians, we've got to go into what's called Acts, the book of Acts. It, it's written by a guy named Luke who is a, a doctor. He gives lots of details when he writes, and he writes about the early church movement. And so we're going to look at Acts 16, 11 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red Bible around you. Uh, you can have that. That's our gift to you. Please take it. Uh, you can write in it. If you own a Bible, I think this series would be really good for you to bring it, mark up your, your Bible, write notes. Uh, you'll be able to remember things better. So Acts 16, 11 through 15, and then that page number is for that red Bible. So this is talking about Paul. Acts 16, 11 through 15. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis, from there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. As we stayed there several days, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. 
She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So who is this woman that, that, that Paul finds? Uh, first of all, it's important. Paul doesn't find a synagogue. So there is no place of worship in Philippi. The Jewish, there was not a large amount of Jewish men specifically, so there was no synagogue. So he goes to the river. He probably hears at some point, hey, there's this group of women that at some point have begun to seek and follow God, Yahweh, the, the God of the Jewish people. And so this group of people are down at the river. These women are washing their clothes. And so Paul goes down there and he begins to preach a message, preach a message. And this message is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And this is what it means, because I think this is really, really important. This is, this is super important that if you're here today, that you would be able to walk out of here and say, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus that says that everyone is broken, but everyone is loved. That everyone is broken, but everyone is loved. And so in our brokenness, we've been separated uh, from God, but because we are loved also, God makes a way for us to be saved, for us to be rescued, for us to be redeemed, for us to be made right in the eyes of God. And the way he does that is through his son, Jesus. And so Jesus comes and lives the life we should have lived, and then he dies the death we should have died on a cross. He's buried, and he comes back to life, and he's alive today. And because of that, anyone who believes, who confesses with their mouth that that is true, they believe that in their heart, then they are saved, that they are rescued, that they're redeemed, that they are forgiven. And so this is what Paul goes and begins to preach. And it says that Lydia responds to Paul's message. Now, here's what's really interesting about Lydia. Lydia being a dealer in purple cloth means that she was a wealthy woman. If you were dealing with purple cloth, it means you had wealth. And she was not from there. She was actually from Thyatira, which would be present-day Turkish. So she was of, of Asian descent. But she was wealthy, and she had a home in Philippi, so she would travel. It'd be like today, uh, someone who's wealthy who has a home in L.A., and they have a home in New York, and they have a home in Paris, and they're dealing with fashion. That's who this woman is. She has it all together. She probably has everything she needs or even wants, but something at some point in her begins to seek something greater. So she's seeking God, and then Paul begins to fill in the framework for her. And says, here's the one you've been worshiping. Did you know he has sent someone for you? And she responds to the message. Not only her, but her entire household. Something happens. Lydia becomes passionate about it and then goes back, I'm guessing, and says, look, I just heard this message that is going to change my life and change your life as well. And they begin to believe as well. And not only do they believe, but they are all baptized. That they're baptized, that they obediently go and they are baptized. And so this is what that means. So if you uh, haven't been in church, maybe you don't understand what, what that is, but um, Jesus is even baptized. John the Baptist begins taking these people who are following Jesus, or, or they're, they're Christians, and, and begin to want to follow the, the ways of Jesus. And so they submerge, submerge them in, into water. They immerse them in the ways of God. And so they baptize them. And it's this beautiful picture of forgiveness. This beautiful picture of dying to yourself and being washed and made clean and coming up into this new life. Jesus is even baptized. And so then Jesus gives instruction that you should go out and make disciples, that people should accept, believe, and be baptized. And so in that moment, Lydia and her whole household are 
baptized. Now, it, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Acts 16, 16 through 19. Once when we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So Paul's traveling around and he's, he's preaching this message. And then there's this slave girl who is following Paul everywhere. And it sounds like she's kind of like this hype man uh, for Paul. Like it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal, uh, what, what she's saying. Look, this guy is going to tell you how to be saved. But, but actually in study, what she's doing is she's almost poking fun at him. She's saying it sarcastically because if you understood the, the day and time, there wasn't just one way to be saved. And so, so, oh, this guy, he's telling you the way to be saved. The way. So Paul, after a few days, with much patience, he gets annoyed and he calls the demon out of her. And it responds and leaves. Now here's what we don't know. We don't know what happens to the girl after this. We don't know. And so I, I'm, go, I'm going to take into account what I know and what I've seen Jesus do. When, when Jesus would, would cast out demons, the person who had the demon cast out begins to follow Jesus begins to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that this young girl who had been possessed, who is completely opposite of Lydia, Lydia is completely in control, she's well put together, uh, that this slave girl is out of control, she's probably impoverished, uh, she's enslaved, she does not have it going for her. She responds, in my mind, to this message as well, as she is relieved of this demon. So when Paul does this, it makes the owners of this girl extremely mad. Extreme, and that's how they made their money. This girl would go around uh, telling fortunes and, and they would get paid by it. And so they arrest Paul and Silas and they throw them into prison. They, they're, they're beaten, they're flogged, and, they're, and they're, put into, uh, they're put into jail. And so there's more to the story of how the, the church begins. Acts 16, 23 through 33. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This was not a good place to find yourself. The inner cell, everything would go and everything would flow down into the inner cell. So urine, throw up, anything that you could think that would happen would make its way into the inner cell. And here's where Paul finds himself shackled in chains. And the guy who is doing it to him is probably loving his job and enjoys doing it. And he puts him in an uncomfortable position in these shackles. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. What? I mean, did you hear what I said where these people find themselves? And Paul's response to this is to pray and to sing i got to be honest, um, when, when things aren't going well for me, that's not always my first response. And I have not been put in a position like Paul was put in. I mean, honestly, I come in on Sunday morning sometimes, I'm like, it's kind of cold in here, I don't really like the way the music sounds, and I'm just going to kind of listen today. 
right? And so Paul and Silas, at the face, honestly, facing death, their response is to sing and to pray. And I love it. It says the other prisoners are listening to them. Yeah. I mean, Paul, I'm imagining, finds this as an opportunity. He finds this opportunity and says, look, I'm, I'm suffering, but in my suffering, I'm going to make Jesus known. I'm going to make Jesus known. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone, everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. During this day, if you were a soldier, if you were a guard, if you were and had responsibility of, of guarding prisoners, if they got away, the punishment was your life. And so he knows he has just lost Paul and Silas and the other people. And so his response in that moment is, I'm going to die anyways. I might as well do it to myself. Verse 28. But Paul, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is unbelievable. So this is what it tells me. He's been listening also. Yeah. He, he's been listening to what Paul and Silas are saying, what they're praying, what they're preaching, what they're singing. There's something that's been stirring in the jailer's heart. And then in an act of compassion. So we have Lydia who by intellect, Lydia is an intellectual person. And so by intellect, Paul is intellectually having a conversation with Lydia. She responds to the message. With the slave girl, he, he uses the spiritual realm he casts out demons. He prays for her, and she responds to the message. And then you have the jailer, this blue-collar man who just wants to do his job. He just wants to go home to his family. He probably loves Rome. He, he loves his job. He, he's hearing what Paul is saying. He's witnessing Paul actually singing about what he believes. And then when Paul has a chance to get out, he doesn't. He doesn't, and so it's an act of compassion that Paul has, that Silas has towards this jailer where the jailer says, look, whatever you've been talking about, how do I have that in my life? How can I be saved? How can I respond to this message you have been preaching? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. You have Lydia and her household. You have this slave girl. And now you have this jailer. None of them are alike. None of them would have anything in common. They're not hanging out on Friday night. They're not texting each other to see what's going on uh, that, that weekend. They, they have nothing to do with one another. But each of them, in their own way, has responded to the message, and they're baptized. So let's just hit pause for a second, and let me ask this question. If you've heard the gospel preached before, and you've just heard me quickly talk about it, have you responded to it? Because often what happens is we try and work our way back to God. We think, I'll just be good enough. I'll, just be good enough. I'll quit doing all the bad things, and if I quit doing all the bad things, then obviously God will be pleased with me. But we all know that we just can't stop doing the bad things. That our, our good things will never outweigh our bad things. Ever. 
So, so we think if we're good enough, if we do enough good things, so if I give enough money, if I serve the poor, if I volunteer, if I read with kids, if I do all that, well, then obviously God has to be pleased with me. And if he's pleased with me, then he'll save me and rescue me. But we'll always fall short because what happens is in that moment, if we're able to save ourselves, we no longer need Jesus. We no longer need Jesus. And so the gospel says you only need Jesus. You only need Jesus, that you could never be good enough. You could never work your way back to God. And the invitation is respond to that free gift, to respond to that free gift. And so I don't know if you've ever done that before. And, and maybe you're in a setting where someone walked you through it and made you do it, but, but here's what I know. It is a decision that you make between you and, and God, that you in a moment say, I believe. I believe. And not only do I believe, but I will follow. And part of them following is they were baptized, is that they were baptized. It was this public declaration of my life is not my own anymore. That everything I was, all the dirt that I've experienced, all the bad thing I have done, God has washed me clean. And so it's this picture of this being washed clean. Some of you maybe have accepted Jesus. You've heard the gospel, but you've never been baptized. You never been baptized. Maybe you were in fear of being baptized. Maybe you didn't want to be in front of people. That was me. Uh, I was already a pastor before I was baptized. I didn't tell anyone I had never been baptized. And so I was in the ministry. And I was like, I should probably be baptized if I'm going to baptize some, some people. And so I was afraid. And I thought, what are people going to think about me? Maybe you're older. Maybe you're baptized as a kid. Maybe your parents told you you were baptized as a kid, but you don't really remember it. So you've never made that declaration. You've never made that public confession. Maybe you want to do that. So we're going to do that next week. Next Sunday, we're going to baptize people. And, and, and my hope is that you'll respond that you'll respond, that after the service you'll come talk to me, that you'll send me a message this week, but it, th th this week you'll say, look, I want to respond to the gospel, and in responding to the gospel, I want to be baptized and publicly declare that I believe. That I believe. This is what happens. This is what happens in Philippi. And then, let's look at verse 40. Acts 16, 40. After Paul and Silas come out of the prison... They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. So it's this idea that everyone now who is following Jesus have found their way to Lydia's house. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we know Lydia's wealthy. We know she's got a, a great setup. And so everyone will just meet there. And so everyone finds themselves there. And the church begins to meet. And this is what I want you to hear. That the church is not about a building. And we've said that a bunch. They're meeting in a house. The church, the people are meeting in a house. And it's the beginning of the movement of Christianity into Europe. Right here in this moment, Lydia, the intellect, the wealthy woman who has it all together, a slave girl who's been possessed, and this jailer who has done some horrible things are the people who begin the first church in Philippi and open the door into Europe. I don't know about you, but that would be a difficult church to say, yeah, I'll go pastor that church. Yeah. Right? <laughs> The problems, the, the, the struggles, the disagreements, none of them would probably culturally understand each other, but they have one thing in common. There's one thing that has brought them together, and that is the gospel. That is, God, that is it. They may say, I don't understand your culture. You hate Rome. One of them worships Rome. One of them has been abused by Rome. They have nothing in common except the fact that they all needed Jesus and they've all responded to the gospel and that is the church that is the church that forms in philippi so i can't imagine i can't imagine the struggles and the problems that there may have been there and then finish it then they left so 1640 after paul and silas come out of the prison they went to lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and they left them they just left them and and, and paul goes and continues to to reach people 
and he leaves them. Now, we know because of some other writings that, that Paul goes back and visits them, but then 10 years later, Paul finds himself in prison again. He finds himself in prison again. He's uh, in a, a jail cell, and he writes back to the Philippians. He writes back to the Philippians. And so uh, today is an overview. We have to understand who these people are because that's going to set us up for everything that we do for the next several weeks, everything that we're doing. And so now let's jump into Philippians. We're only going to look at two verses this morning. And I was joking with my, my wife. I, I told her I was going to call this uh, sermon, Hello from the Other Side, my <laughs> My kids are Adele fans, and uh, that's pretty much this message. Hello from the other side. Philippians 1 and uh, 2. We're going we're gonna to stop at 1 for a second. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is how Paul is going to explain himself and describe himself and identify himself as a servant of Jesus. Not the one who planted the church, not the master church planter, not the holy Christian guy, but he defines himself as a servant of Jesus. Now, the word servant actually could be translated probably better as slave, as slave. And so for us to hear that in, in our culture, there, there is not a great um, connotation with that word, understandably. But, but you have to understand in that day, uh, many different people from many different societies would be slaves. Some people would go into slavery on their own because they couldn't afford uh, to pay for things. They, they, would, they would need to become slaves. Some of them are prisoners of, of war. Some of them are sold into slavery. Some of them just needed work. Some of them were given important positions. They were given important roles. And so it, it's a little different. But here's what I know, and, and, and here's what would have been then and even now. This is one thing that is for sure. As a slave, you belonged to someone else. You were not your own. You belonged to someone else. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm a servant, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I belong to him. He owns my life. He owns my life. So he takes pride in calling himself a slave of Jesus and doesn't communicate to the, the people of the church, look, I'm better than you, that I'm higher up than you. Look, I'm, he humbles himself as a servant, as a slave. And this is what I know for us. You may not call yourself a servant, you may not call yourself a slave, but all of us are following someone or something. We have put someone or something in leadership of our lives. All of us. There's someone we're following, there's someone we want to be like, and Paul in this moment says, look, myself, uh, I'm, I'm obedient and I've given myself to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so how would you define yourself? As we talk about this idea of growing up, let's start there and say, how would you define yourself? Would you define yourself by what you do, your job, your occupation, what people call you, your title? Is, that, is, that, is it what you've done, the mistakes you've made, how you've messed? How would you define yourself? If you are a follower of Jesus, that's how you define yourself. Is loved by the one who created you, a son or a daughter of the king a child of God, a servant, a slave of Jesus. This is what Paul says in the very beginning of his letter. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now this letter would have been read out in public. 
And so someone would have received the letter that Paul wrote us, and so everyone would get together, and someone would read this letter out loud. So this was written to the church. This wasn't just written to a select few. This wasn't written to the spiritual, spiritually elite. This is written to Lydia, to the slave girl, to the jailer, their families, the people they've brought in over the last 10 years. And this is what Paul says, to all God's holy people. To all God's holy people. So he's not, again, addressing a spiritual elite, but saying all of you who have followed Jesus are holy in the way that you have been set apart. You are consecrated sacred. You are not who you used to be. So he doesn't divide the group up. And, and, and here's what I was thinking as I was thinking about the people who formed the first church, that the thought is, how does that work? How does that work? I mean, if you've been around church very long, you know there can be some disagreements because we're people, right? There, there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's times things are, are hard and they don't seem to work out. But I'm thinking about that group and I'm like, how does that work? How does that work? And this is the way it works. It's to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. That is because they are in Christ Jesus that it works. That is the only way that it can work. And so it's, it's like he's, he's telling them as he's talking to them, look, the only reason you've lasted 10 years is because of Christ Jesus. The only reason you are who you are, the only reason you've made a difference in Philippi is because of Christ Jesus. And that's it. Not by your talents, not by your good works, not by the right uh, programs. It's simply because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, this is what I know about us. This is what I know about human nature. Uh, it's difficult sometimes to do life with people who aren't like us. It's difficult to do life with people that we don't have the same background. We, maybe we don't even come from the same culture, but... But what, what makes this story, what makes the gospel beautiful is that it can happen. That, that people can come together for one mission and one purpose because of Christ Jesus. A, a pastor's name is Matt Chandler down in, in Texas. Uh, he wrote this, and it's one of the resources I'm using. It's a commentary on Philippians. He says this, Paul has adopted the position that the gospel cannot be stopped by socioeconomic, racial, or religious walls we fallen humans build up. In these incredible instances, the gospel defies race, defies class, defies status, and even defies aptitude or your abilities and, and talents. If we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that we tend to prefer to do life with people who are similar to us. We live in neighborhoods and associate with people who look like us and act like us. Most of, most of us go to church with people similar to us. This is the natural tendency of all people, but the gospel is not natural. As we see here in the odd beginning of the Philippian church, the gospel blows off our tidy little communities and creates a whole new community that never would have formed without it. Apart from the supernaturally reconciling ministry of grace, rich fashionistas, fashionistas are not doing life with poor demon-possessed girls. Only because of the gospel. Only because of Jesus are we able to come into this place and bring all of our differences and say differences aside, your past aside. Only because of the gospel, only because of Jesus are we able to do that. So I just think about our, our community here, our, our church family, our community, and, and the diversity here. Uh, introvert, extrovert, 
You've got blue collar, you have white collar, you have unemployed. You have black, white, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, and everyone else that I could possibly leave out. Poor, middle class, rich, gender, age, even those who would define themselves as politically liberal and those who are politically conservative find themselves in this space. That doesn't happen outside of the church. But, but it can happen here. The message of the gospel brings us together and we begin to see people differently. We begin to see people differently. We can look at the people around us and say, look, I'm nothing like them, but, but because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we can be in community here together. We can do life together. We can be on mission together. We can make a difference in our community together because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So as you grow up, as you continue to grow up spiritually, I really hope you'll begin to ask some difficult questions of yourself. And you'll begin to say, are there any seeds within me that are not pleasing to God, that are birthing out wrong thoughts, judgmental attitudes, feelings of superiority? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you view and feel about the poor? What do you think about them? What do you view and think about the rich? What, what's your first heart? What, what do you think? I, I could never have anything in common with that person. I could never be in community with that person. Are, are there seeds of racism in you? Are there seeds of prejudice in you? That you see a news report, you hear a story, and your first thought is this, this racist, prejudiced emotion and thought. If you're growing up, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and specifically I'm, I'm, I'm talking to those who would today say they're a follower of Jesus, those things do not belong. They don't belong. And so we're able to deal with those because of Jesus and only Jesus. And only Jesus. Uh, we can look at the, as we go into this political year, how do you view those who are more liberal? How do you view those who are more conservative? There is a divide. And so in a group like this, will that divide us? Or do we say, look, we may not see eye to eye on a few things, but, but Jesus is first. Jesus is the authority. Not being Americans, not our race, not our culture, not our community, not where we come from, not what we've done, not how good we are. Jesus and Jesus alone is what is first. That is what unites us together. And so this, this prayer, Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So as Paul writes to this church in Philippians, he's encouraging them to all of God's holy people in Jesus Christ at Philippi. So I feel like God would be saying that to us. He's writing to us, all of us, together, because we're in Jesus. We can do this with one another. And then he, verse 2 says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are going to do this, if we are going to do life together with people who are different, who have different backgrounds, and all that list of things, if we are going to do it, then we are going to need much grace much grace. We've received much grace. We've received much forgiveness. And so we should be quick to give grace and forgiveness away. And peace. Peace. Peace is the blessing of reconciliation, the, the wholeness that results from gracious uh, 
the gracious work of Jesus. So we've received grace, we give grace, and then we seek peace. We seek peace in response to what God has done. So I don't know what your next step is. This is just the beginning of this series. It's going to be a long series. We'll go faster next week. We'll cover more of Philippians next week. But this is going to set us up. Who's a part of this church and what is Jesus saying to them? And your response and my response is, what is Jesus saying to me? How will I respond? Don't forget, if you've received the gospel, if you've followed Jesus and haven't been baptized, talk to me. Let's do this. It is a great celebration. It's one of my favorite things to do as a community to celebrate together with someone who says, I am committing to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you that the gospel changes everything. Thank you that, that, that God, you've sent Jesus to change my life personally, but not just for myself, but for my community. Uh, for all of us in this room, there's an opportunity, God, I know, for us to respond to the good news of the gospel and that it is only because of the gospel that we can do life together, that we can have one goal in mind to please you and to follow you and to have an impact on our community. God, would you help us to continue to grow in our faith and to become more like you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. See you next week. Bye.